Amen. Let's turn to, uh, once again, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 10. And we are continuing on in this Gospel. We introduced this text last week. And um, beginning in verses uh, 16 through, through 25. And uh, let's go ahead and, and read this together. Uh, I invite you, if you're following along in the Bible in the pew in front of you, you can find that in, uh, on page 969, uh, Matthew chapter 10, or 969 in the Bible in the pew in front of you. So uh, just follow along as I, as I read the scriptures aloud. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. They, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you that you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. But if they called you the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those who are of his household? This is the word of the Lord. We, uh, we looked at verses 16 through 20 last week, and so we're gonna continue on this morning. But before we do... Um, you know, I, I consider myself a pretty good driver. Um, now, my family might disagree with me, especially on that real curvy road between Mountain View and, uh, and like Leslie, I think it is, or wherever it is, like you're going to Branson. They complain every single time we make that trip. But I think I'm a pretty good driver, and, I, and I've, I've only been in one wreck. It wasn't my fault. And in 28 years of driving, I've only gotten four speeding tickets all of which were not my fault. No, I'm kidding. They, <laughs> no, they were totally my fault. Um, but, um, you know, and, and none of them were really huge or anything. And, I, and I'm gonna be honest with you. Um, there's not a single one of those speeding tickets that I really lost any sleep over. I mean, I can't say that I was really, I mean, I'm sorry I got caught, but I can't really say that I was really sorry that I, I mean, technically I broke the law, you know, and I, I know what James says, James chapter two, verse 10, that you can keep the whole law and yet offend at one point, you're guilty of all. I, I get that, I know that, but I'm just gonna be honest with you. I, even, even though I had to pay the fine, I, I really did not lose any sleep whatsoever over getting those speeding tickets because there was really no one there that I necessarily offended. There was, there was no person behind that. I just broke the law. You know, that's, that's really all I did. But beloved, there have been times when I have hurt my wife 
or I have hurt one of you, or I have let you down, and I have stayed up all night fretting about it. And, and why is that? Because when I, when I offended one of you, or when I offended my wife, there was, there was a, a personal relationship there. There was relational closeness. There was relational intimacy. Whereas when I broke the law, there was relational distance. I, I, I really was not that connected to the state of Arkansas or the state of Illinois or wherever it was where I got the tickets, right? But when I offend one of you, it really bothers me. It really bothers me. And beloved, when the church speaks of persecution, very often we talk about it in a kind of nonchalant way. In fact, I've often heard preachers say that, that what the church needs is a, is a good old-fashioned dose of persecution. Be careful what you wish for. And the reason why we often say it like that is because when we think of persecution, we often think of the big bad government or the big bad college professor, or the big bad this or the big bad that, uh, coming down and putting pressure on the church. Now, don't get me wrong, that does happen. But Jesus is gonna talk about a very different kind of persecution this morning. One that's a lot closer. One that's heartbreaking. And one that I dare say happens far more often than governments coming down on the church. And that's what we see here. Now, I'm not gonna rehash what I said last week, but we're continuing on the same purpose that my, my hope and my prayer is to prepare you for the inevitable hardships that are going to come by being a disciple of Christ and being on mission for him. That, that mission, like any other mission of warfare, be it physical, national, or spiritual warfare, it is always going to come with perils. And I'm preparing you, I'm, Christ is preparing us for the inevitable perils that are going to come. And we talked about when we are resisted last week, but we are going to carry on here. I'm not gonna rehash everything I said, but Jesus says that I'm, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. And you may remember that uh, what we talked about is that, that sheep are very helpless animals. They are completely and totally dependent upon the protection of their shepherd. And we see that as, as Christ is working out. What does it mean to go out as sheep? It means to go out in total and complete confidence and dependence upon him for the success of the mission. You and I can't change hearts. And that is exemplified in this text by he sends them out not only with no provisions, but also with not, without even any money or a place to stay or anything like that to demonstrate their total confidence. So beloved, this morning we, we saw last week that when Christ warns us, he also, there's a, there's a pattern here where he warns and then he comforts he warns and then he comforts, and then he warns and then he comforts. And so last week, we, see, we saw the comfort that comes whenever we are resisted in the mission. But this morning, we're going to once again see that Christ assures us of his comfort. And the two other occasions he speaks of is when we are betrayed and when we are persecuted. When we are betrayed and when we are persecuted. And so 
We look on in, in verses 21 through 22. And we see that Christ will comfort us whenever we are betrayed. Whenever we are betrayed. Look at verses 21, 22 again. He says that brother will deliver brother over to death, father his child, children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all. That statement is as shocking as it is heartbreaking. As it is heartbreaking. In fact, the way he words this in the text, in the original, is that that term that they will deliver you is actually in, an, in what we call an emphatic position. In other words, he's emphasizing this. You're gonna be betrayed. And you're gonna be betrayed by the people you least expect it from. The people you least expect it from are going to rise up against you and against your faith. Like I said, sheep are helpless. We're completely dependent upon the protection of their shepherd. But beloved, when we speak of wolves, we, we speak dispassionately because, because we talk about it when there is relational distance. You know, I said the, the big bad government, the, the, the college professor that you're never gonna see again past this semester. Those are the wolves that we often talk about. But what happens when the wolf is your son? What happens when the wolf is your daughter? The wolf is your mom and dad. The wolf is your brother or sister or even your spouse. What happens when the wolf is your cousin or your neighbor. That's what Christ is preparing us for. He's getting us ready. It's shocking. It's heartbreaking. And beloved, to what end they will deliver you? To what end? He says that they will deliver you over to death. There are cultures even today that when a child comes to Christ, the parents will hold a funeral for the child, signifying that as far as they're concerned, that child is dead, dead to them. In the second century, when uh, the Roman Empire was, was persecuting the church, there are stories of the way it would work was that they encouraged the, the Roman emperor and the Roman authorities encouraged citizens to turn over family members, to turn over children, to turn over neighbors and community members whom they suspected were, were claiming that Christ is Lord and not Caesar. And we see that kind of thing happening again and again and again. And it, and it helps explain some passages like, like, for example, Luke chapter 14, verse 26. It helps explain passages like this, that if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You say, hate those people? Well, well, you need to understand that the figure of speech he's using here is that when these ones come up against you, when your wife or your husband or your child or father or mother, brother, sister, when they come against you and say, you must give up your faith, which one will you choose? And Christ says, you must be 
if you're going to be my disciple, you must know that there's a very good chance this is going to happen. I've seen it over and over and over again. In fact, beloved, there are people in our midst this morning. There are ones here who have relationships that have suffered, who have lost friendships because they have chosen to remain true to the principles that scripture teach. I've had to counsel husbands before who who have asked me if I tell my wife not to come to church, are you gonna tell her to disobey me? Which I've said, yes, I am. Because she has a higher authority than you, my friend. I've had to stare husbands right in the face and tell them that, sometimes to the threat of my personal safety. Jesus says, these things are gonna come. These things are gonna come. It helps explain passages like this. Beloved, the world's hatred of Christ is so vitriolic that it will it will uh, overshadow even the strongest of family bonds. The world's hatred of Christ is so vitriolic that it will even cancel out the strongest of natural family bonds. You have to be ready. You have to be ready. And so what is the comfort that Christ provides? He gives the warning, but we don't want to stay there. He gives the comfort. Look what he says in verse 22. He says, but the one who endures till the end will be saved. The one who goes through this will be saved. What does Jesus mean here? I want you to understand that this is not a conditional promise. Well, well, it, it, it kind of is, but I, I want you to understand how it works. It's not, he's not saying that your salvation is conditioned upon your ability to endure all on your own. That's, that's not what he's saying. Now, now there is a, a built-in command here to endure till the end. So understand, we do have responsibility in this. It is our responsibility to endure to the end. But with that promise comes a provision that the ones who do endure to the end do so because they are saved. In other words, we obey because we have that relationship. That's the fruit. We, we endure to the end because that is the evidence that we are saved. And so what Christ is saying here, he's saying that it is a promise. Listen, I want you to understand that you will face this kind of betrayal. You will face this kind of hardship. But when you have faced it to the end, you will be saved. You will be saved from all that hardship. You'll be saved from all of that hatred you faced there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother and his name is Jesus Christ. And in the end, when we come to heaven, he will wipe away every tear. You have cried. He will wipe away every bruise that you have. You know, 
It says a promise. Those who persevere to the end will be saved. They will have eternal life. Beloved, please. You know, I hear churches say things sometimes and, and I understand the context in which they're saying it. And, 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 I, and in the context, I certainly agree with it. But oftentimes what they'll say is they'll say the church's number one job is to protect the members from harm. Now, they're often saying that in like legal realities that we're in today and, and the, necessi the necessity to do background checks for children's workers and stuff like that. We do all that, which speaking of which we need to do that. But um, we do all that, okay? But we do that because the scriptures say don't lay hands too hastily on someone. I want you to understand that sometimes that when you come to Christ and you be his disciples, you may lose everything. You may lose your families. You may lose your marriage. You may lose your mom and dad. You may lose your friendships. You may lose it all. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Because in the end, you will come to know the full salvation of Jesus Christ. Beloved, Christ was betrayed by one who was closest to him, one of his 12. We always see Judas in the, in the pictures, you know, he's always got that little handlebar mustache and it's all curled up and he's over here, kind of like, you know, when you're wiping hand sanitizer in a hospital, you know, and everybody's walking around hatching these evil plots, you know, and, and, and he's over here hatching his evil plot with his little handlebar mustache, kind of separated from everyone else. Beloved, when I think of Judas, I think of the all-American boy. I think that everybody looked at him, all the disciples looked at him and said, that's a guy we can trust. And so they made him the treasurer of the group. He was a guy that everybody looked at and said, if anyone's got it all together, it's Judas. I mean, would you give your money to someone who wasn't like that? Jesus was betrayed by one of his own. He knows where you are. He's been there. And may I remind you that when Judas betrayed Christ, he did not betray him with a sword or with a spear, or with a gun. But Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. He's been where you are. He knows what the pain is. And there is a friend who sticks closer to a brother, and it is Christ. In fact, Christ says that Greater love has no man than this, that he would give his life for a friend. And he demonstrated that love on the cross when he gave his life for you. Love, and maybe you're here this morning. Let me, let me talk to my lost friends here for a moment. Maybe you've been betrayed by the church. Maybe the reason why you are so skeptical of coming to church is because you have been hurt by churches. You have been hurt by, by people who supposedly carry the name of Christ. I want you to understand, Jesus feels that same pain. He was betrayed by someone who followed him for three and a half years. 
He feels that. He knows that. And yet he, he showed that he is your greatest friend by going to the cross and dying for your sins. Hey, listen, I make, I make no excuses. Sometimes a church turns, but Christ never will. And put your faith in him. And then you will be able to love the church again. And so when we, what do we do? The church, he says, he brings us this comfort. Luke 18, look what he says in Luke 18, 29 through 30. He says, and Jesus said to them, truly I say to you that there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, watch this, who will not receive many times more in this time and in, the, and in the age to come, eternal life. Leave that, leave that up there for a moment, Mark. Uh, who will not receive many times more. Who are the brothers and sisters and mothers and, and all of that that he's referring to in that passage? He's referring to the church. And that's why we come here and we refer to one another as brother and sister, and there are, there are women in this church that we think of as moms and grandmas, and, and there are children in this church that we all think of as, as ours. You know, I kind of joked a second ago, we, we allowed Chris to marry Kylie because she's one of our kids, amen? <laughs> and so he had to pass the test. <laughs> That's what the church is. We're, we're coming together, and Christ provides his comfort, and one of the ways that he provides his comfort is through the church. That we come alongside those who have been betrayed. We come alongside those who have felt the sting of rejection. We come alongside those. We don't run from them. We run to them. When we know someone who is suffering rejection for their faith, we step in and we provide them with the Lord's comfort that he wants them to receive. Just as you have been comforted by Christ, so he has comforted us in order that we may give comfort to those in need. Second Corinthians chapter one. And so when we are betrayed, beloved, we are comforted by him. We are comforted by him. And then second of all, and I'll make this quick, Christ will comfort us when we are persecuted. When we're persecuted. Look in verses 23 through 25. He says, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I want you to notice he says that when they persecute you. Again, the, the idea here is not if they persecute you, it's when this happens when they persecute you. Now, this term is, is just kind of a general sense of harassment. It, it can be severe or it can be minute. It's not really the, it's not really the word that determines it, but it is the, it, it is the context that tells us that it, it's, it, he's telling them that when he says that they run you out of town, when they chase you out, and we know that in the history of the church, the, the church has faced this over and over and over again. So Christ offers a little practical advice here. He says, look, when you're persecuted in one town, you don't have to stay there. 
go to the next town. When you're persecuted in one town, go to the next one, flee to the next one. <laughs> There's, he, he doesn't tell you to stay there. Now, if you can't escape and you get caught, don't deny Christ. But if you, but if you can flee, then flee. And by the way, can I just say this for a moment? I, uh, that's, those are the verses we need to apply to domestic abuse. Not, you know, that's not a marriage problem. It's, a, it's an oppression problem. And very often we have women in our church who are facing persecution, but they're facing it at home. They're facing oppression at home. And it may be that we need to help them flee. That's not a marriage issue. We don't give marriage advice in that situation. We give advice for how to deal with oppression and persecution because that's what's happening. It's not an anger problem. And so Christ offers this practical advice. There's nothing wrong. In fact, as he, as he looks there in verse 23, he says, go to the next town. Some of the greatest movements in the scriptures of the expansion of the church have happened because the church came under pressure and they had to be scattered into the world. And beloved, God will be glorified if you choose to stay and face that persecution, die in the name of Christ. God will also be glorified if you choose to go to the next town and find others whom he has given. So look what he says here in verse 23. This is kind of strange. He says, for, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. What in the world? Don't, don't stay there. Don't face the persecution. Go to the next town because you're, you're not gonna get to every town before the Son of Man comes. In other words, you're not their savior. You're not their savior. And if God is not moving in this town, okay, you go to the next one. If God is not moving in this ministry, okay, you go to the next one. If God is not moving in, in this program, okay, you shut it down, you start another one. If God is not moving in this small group, okay, then you begin another one. In other words, don't be so committed to the program that the ministry suffers. Don't be so committed to, to the program, to the organization, to the town. You don't have to stay in that persecution, whether it's abusive marriages or whatever, but if you do, if you can't escape, do not deny your Savior, endure and great will be your reward in heaven for so they also treated the prophets and the apostles that came before you. And so they also treated your Lord and Savior. So look what comfort he gives in verse 24 and 25. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough. Listen, it is enough do, do you hear that? It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebul, which is a, which is a kind of a cultural name for Satan, if they, if they call the master a child of Satan, how much more will they call you that? How much more will they malign you? But it's enough. It's enough for you to be a disciple of Christ. In other words, 
What comfort is Jesus giving you? Beloved, in the midst of persecution, that is the time that you can most be like Christ. That is the time that Christ will will comfort you to the extent that you can respond to the persecution the way that Christ responded to his betrayers and to the very ones that killed him. Do you remember when Christ was on the cross and he looked out at all of those who were mocking him and, and saying those terrible things as he was on the cross hanging in absolute shame and disgrace as people were uh, looking at him in derision. The religious leaders who should have been worshiped him were, were mocking him. Do you remember what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And do you remember when Stephen was, was stoned before the Sanhedrin, before the priest, and, and even a young Paul who at the time was Saul, he was there giving approval and holding their court, coats so that they could uh, throw their rocks at Stephen. And Stephen looks up and he catches an image of Jesus Christ. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And beloved, when you are keeping your eyes on Christ and you're going through all of these betrayals, going through all these difficult, keep your eyes on Christ and you will endure. To where you can also say, Father, forgive him, save him, save her. They're not your enemy. They've fallen victim to your enemy. So cry out to them, help them, be kind to them. Don't return evil for evil, but return good for evil. Let this be in you, that you want to show the good of our Father even to those who show the most vitriolic hatred to you and to his Son. It's not you they hate, it's Christ. And their first offense is to him. This is what we need to be ready for, beloved. I was in a church. Um, it's in a southern state. It wasn't Arkansas, but it was kind of in the Bible Belt. And there was an old man who was part of that church. I want to say he was in his 80s. He had two sons, a younger and an older one. Uh, they were uh, maybe their late 50s, maybe early 60s. I'm not really sure, but. Anyway, the, the family was very influential in the church. You know, you know how that goes sometimes. And, and um, anyway, the, the pastor um, had been there for about five or six years and the younger brother decided that it was time for the pastor to go and he was doing everything he could to try to get the pastor fired and tried to raise the church up against him. And it all, it all came to head in a business meeting and and he was presenting his, and most of it was just nitpicky stuff that no one would think was really that important, but he was just going on and on and on and on and on until finally the old man stood up. He came to the microphone and his brother stood up and his older brother stood up and kind of held him by the arms to help him up and they stood to get there together and the old man said, son, I love you, but you must repent. You are sinning. 
and you must repent. That younger brother was so enraged, he left the church. That old man died a few years ago. That younger son never spoke to him again. And to my knowledge, to this day, never spoke to the older brother either. Understand that when you stand up for what is right, sometimes you will be betrayed by those whom you expect it the least. But Christ says, endure. You know, Chris, you're, you're a brand new believer, brother. Listen, we're here for you because all of us have experienced this from one, to one degree or another. And you're gonna experience this too, okay? Children who are here in Christ, you're gonna, you're gonna experience this, okay? This is gonna happen. Their hatred of Christ is gonna cancel out their love for you. But don't hate them. Don't return evil for evil. Pray for them and show them that our Savior is one who, even though he demonstrates for his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the love we show. Pray for those who persecute you. Be kind to those who do wrong and spitefully use you. And in all things, give glory to God. For it's all within his perfect plan. As we come to this time in communion, it's a, it's a wonderful time to keep our eyes on Christ. We have started doing this monthly to provide that, that, that regular sight of the elements. And um, this is just a time as we prepare for communion. I just want you to, just want you to close your eyes for a moment and bow your heads and, and just reflect on who Christ is and what he's done for you. Beloved, understand that Christ suffered betrayal. The very thing that he is warning you about now, he is also providing you comfort. And he can provide that comfort because he's been there. Because he has experienced it. And even though all of his friends fled, they struck the shepherd and the, and the sheep fled, but every single one of them was restored with the exception of one. And beloved, if you're here this morning and you're facing this kind of betrayal, I invite you to flee to Christ. Run to him, put your trust in him and endure for the sake of the gospel. You, you don't know what God may do in the life of the very one who is giving you hardship right now. You don't know what he might have in store, what he might want to do through you, not in spite of the hardship you're enduring, but because of it. All things work together for the good of those who love Christ and are called according to his purpose. Doesn't say all things are good but it says that all things work together. Do you trust in that? I wanna invite our, our servants to come on down to prepare for the table.
And as you are preparing this, your hearts this morning, I just, I plead with you to consider Christ. If you are here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, we advise you to not partake because this is a ordinance for believers, but we do ask you to look at what we're doing and ask questions. We do want you to, to see these signs and know that they're pointing to a, a reality, a Savior who was broken and his blood was poured out for us. A, a very real human body, very real human blood that was crushed and was spilt for you. And I've often said that we want you to ask questions. In fact, if there's a believer sitting beside you and you, want it, you have a question, ask them. Children, ask your parents what's going on. And parents, don't shush them. Explain it to them. Explain the gospel to them. That's what this time is for. And so we want to come to this time together to the Lord's table and remember Christ who was broken for us. And the more we do that, the more we might be willing to be broken for him. Let's come together at this time.